Good morning and welcome to the Hilton Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. All participants will be in a listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, you may signal a conference specialist by pressing star then zero. After today's prepared remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You may press star then two to remove yourself from the queue. Please note, this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Jill Slattery, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. You may begin. Thank you, Chad. Welcome to Hilton's second quarter 2021 earnings call. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that our discussions this morning will include forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those indicated in the forward-looking statements and forward-looking statements made today are effective only as of today. We undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise these statements. For a discussion of some of the factors that could cause actual results to differ, please see the risk factor section of our most recently filed Form 10-K. In addition, we will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures on this call. You can find reconciliations of non-GAAP to GAAP financial measures discussed in today's call in our earnings press release, and on our website at ir.hilton.com. This morning, Chris Nassetta, our President and Chief Executive Officer, will provide an overview of the current operating environment. Kevin Jacobs, our Chief Financial Officer and President of Global Development, will then review our second quarter results. Following their remarks, we'll be happy to take your questions. With that, I'm pleased to turn the call over to Chris. Thank you, Jill. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. As I think our second quarter results demonstrate, we continue to make significant progress towards recovery, working hard to serve all of our stakeholders. For our guests to deliver reliable and friendly experiences in a very demanding environment, for our team members to maintain an award-winning culture by creating an inclusive, safe, and welcoming environment full of opportunities, for our owners to drive value through premium market share and efficient and effective operating models, for our communities to remain a positive force for good at a time when it is needed most, and finally, for our shareholders to maximize profits, free cash flow, and overall total returns. We're pleased to see that our diligence and determination are beginning to pay off. As much of the world reopens, the pent-up demand for travel we've been anticipating is happening. While the pace of recovery varies and COVID variants remain a risk, we are seeing significant sequential improvement in every major region. In the second quarter, system-wide REVPAR grew 234% year-over-year. Compared to 2019, REVPAR was down 36% improving 17 percentage points versus the first quarter, with June REPAR improving 24 percentage points versus the first quarter and down only 29 points versus 2019. Additionally, 30% of system-wide comparable hotels exceeded 2019 REPAR levels in June. Adjusted EBITDA was $400 million, up 684% year-over-year, Performance was driven by strong leisure demand and rate growth. For the second quarter, U.S. leisure demand exceeded prior peak levels with rates at 90% of prior peaks. This positive momentum continued into July 
with system-wide NUS leisure room nights and rate exceeding 2019 levels. Business transient also increased meaningfully throughout the quarter, with June rep par for the segment increasing 20 percentage points from the first quarter. We saw improving results in small and medium-sized businesses and positive momentum across larger accounts. In June, business transient room night demand was 70% of 2019 levels, with rate over 80% of 2019 levels. We continue to see progress in July with similar room night demand and rates at 90% of 2019 levels. Group performance in the quarter also improved sequentially, driven primarily by social groups given seasonally higher leisure demand. Overall group demand increased nearly 20 percentage points sequentially from the first quarter, ending June at more than half of 2019 levels. Additionally, group bookings for next year are at rates above 2019 peaks. Approximately 99% of our hotels are now open and operating, including some of our largest urban and group properties. In the last few months, we were thrilled to celebrate the reopenings of the legendary Palmer House Hilton, the Chicago Hilton, and the Hilton San Francisco Union Square. As government restrictions loosen and more people are vaccinated, we continue to see positive momentum and demand and an increasing ability to push rate. For July month to date, system-wide demand is 85% of 2019 levels with rates equal to 2019. In the U.S., July REVPAR is roughly 85% of 2019 levels, and in China, REVPAR is now above prior peaks. With increasing transient bookings, digital traffic, and group sales leads, we are optimistic about the forward trends. Turning to development, we delivered another robust quarter of growth, with net units increasing 7% year-over-year ahead of expectations due to strong openings in the U.S. and fewer overall removals. During the quarter, we added 119 hotels, uh, totaling nearly 20,000 rooms, and celebrated the five-year anniversary of True with the opening of its 200th property. With nearly 270 hotels in development, True continues expanding across the U.S. and Canada, as well as moving into new markets in the Caribbean and Latin America. We were also thrilled to celebrate the highly anticipated opening of Resorts World Las Vegas last month, marking the first ground-up resort development on the Strip in over a decade. The property features three of our premium brands, Hilton, Conrad, and LXR, and adds 3,500 rooms to our portfolio. With expansive meeting and event space, 120,000-square-foot casino, 40 world-class food and beverage options, and a concert and entertainment venue with capacity for 5,000 attendees, this spectacular property raises the bar for Las Vegas and delivers on our long-standing promise to return to the Strip. Along with the recently opened Virgin Hotels Las Vegas Curio, we are now uh, we now have more than 30 properties totaling 11,000 rooms across 12 brands in the city. Las Vegas is also the first US market to house all three of our luxury brands. Earlier this month, we debuted our we debuted our premier meetings and events focused brand Signia by Hilton with the opening of the Signia Orlando Bonnet Creek 
The property will undergo a multi-phase transformation featuring the addition of more than 94,000 square feet of multifunctional meeting and event space designed for an elevated meeting experience. In the quarter, we also broke ground on the nearly 1,000-room Signia Atlanta, scheduled to open in 2023. Our exceptional brands and industry-leading Repar premiums continue to drive a high-quality pipeline. In the quarter, we signed nearly 26,000 rooms, up 40% year-over-year, and increasing from our first quarter pace, given strength in the Americas and Asia-Pacific regions. We ended the quarter with approximately 401,000 rooms in development, more than half of which are under construction. We had a record number of conversion signings in the quarter, representing 40 hotels and accounting for approximately 30% of our total signings, including the Conrad Chia Laguna Sardinia, the Conrad Shanghai, which will be our largest Conrad in Asia with more than 725 rooms, and the Hotel 1000 LXR located just steps away from Seattle's iconic Pike Place Market. Further expanding our all-inclusive and luxury portfolios, we announced the signing of three beachfront resorts in Mexico earlier this month, the Hilton Vallarta Riviera all-inclusive resort, the Hilton Tulum all-inclusive resort, and the Conrad Tulum will add more than 1,500 rooms to our existing 70 hotel portfolio in Mexico, demonstrating our commitment to continued expansion across the region and growing our all-inclusive resort footprint. Travelers will soon be able to choose from an even wider variety of Hilton-branded all-inclusive resorts globally. We expect positive development trends to continue and remain confident in our expectations to deliver mid-single-digit net unit growth over the next several years. For 2021, we expect net unit growth in the 5 to 5.5% range above prior expectations given the pace of openings year-to-date. Delivering on guests' desire for more flexibility in their travel experience and solving a long-time travel frustration, last month we launched Confirm Connecting Rooms, a first in the industry. This innovative technology enables guests to easily book and instantly confirm at least two connecting rooms. As families and friends begin to reunite, reconnect, and travel again, we're excited to create a seamless travel experience from booking through stay. We continue to prioritize unique opportunities to engage our nearly 120 million honors members, driving value for them through our enhanced partnerships and points redemption offerings. In the quarter, membership grew 10% year over year. On average, our premium members are staying with us even more frequently than in 2019. For the quarter, honors members accounted for 58% of occupancy, reaching a high of 61% in May, only 2% below May of 2019. As we head into the back half of the year, we know it's critical to lead with our culture, which was recently earned, which recently earned us the number one spot on Diversity Inc.'s list of top 50 companies for diversity. We were also thrilled to invite all of our team members to return to our headquarters last week. The energy and excitement in the office is palpable, and we're thrilled to be back fostering a collaborative environment, which allows for innovative thinking as we remain focused on our strategic priorities and the bright future ahead. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Kevin to give you more details on our results for the quarter. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone. 
during the quarter, system-wide REFPAR grew 233.8% versus the prior year on a comparable and currency-neutral basis as recovery accelerated driven by strong global vaccine rollouts, relaxed government restrictions, and surging leisure demand, particularly in the U.S. As Chris mentioned, system-wide REFPAR was down 36.1% compared to 2019. Performance was largely balanced between occupancy and rate growth. Adjusted EBITDA was $400 million in the second quarter, and those results reflect relaxed travel restrictions and strengthening global demand. Management franchise fees grew 220%, demonstrating the resiliency of our fee-based business model. Additionally, results were helped by continued cost control at both the corporate and property levels. Our ownership portfolio posted a loss for the quarter due to the more challenged demand environment throughout Europe and Japan and related suspensions of hotel operations. Fixed operating costs further weighed on performance. Overall, the ownership segment performed better than expected, largely due to continued cost control. For the quarter, diluted earnings per share adjusted for special items was $0.56. Turning to our regional performance, second quarter comparable U.S. REVPAR grew 234% year-over-year and was down 31% versus 2019. Demand improved sequentially throughout the quarter, with occupancy averaging roughly 70% in June. Strong leisure demand combined with improving business transient trends drove rate improvement across the U.S., with weekend ADR finishing June down mid-single digits as compared to 2019 rate and weekday rates down in the high single digits. In the Americas outside the U.S., second quarter REFPAR increased 390% year-over-year, and was down 54% versus 2019. While limited international travel weighed on overall performance, easing restrictions and strong leisure demand drove improving trends in June. In Europe, REVPAR grew 470% year-over-year and was down 72% versus 2019. While the region saw month-over-month improvement, rising COVID cases and prolonged travel restrictions continued to weigh on performance. In the Middle East and Africa region, REFPAR increased 287% year-over-year and was down 35% versus 2019. Performance benefited from strong domestic leisure demand, with rate now nearly recovered to 2019 levels in July. In the Asia-Pacific region, second quarter REFPAR grew 143% year-over-year and was down 33% versus 2019. REFPAR in China was down less than 9% as compared to 2019, with rising COVID cases in June temporarily disrupting strong performance trends in April and May. However, as Chris mentioned, China has since rebounded, with REFPAR now trending above 2019 levels. In the rest of the Asia-Pacific region, performance was tempered due to lockdowns in India and continued travel restrictions across Japan. Turning to development, as Chris mentioned, in the second quarter we grew net units 7%. Our pipeline grew sequentially, totaling 401,000 rooms at the end of the quarter, with 62% of pipeline rooms located outside the U.S. Despite the challenges brought about by the pandemic, developer appetite for Hilton brands remains strong across the globe. As As travel restrictions ease, regions prepare for recovery, and owners focus on growth opportunities, development activity and interest is gaining momentum. For the full year, we expect signings to increase in the high single to low double-digit range year-over-year. We expect net unit growth of 5% to 5.5%. Turning to the balance sheet, during the quarter, we fully repaid the outstanding $1.2 billion balance on our revolving credit facility. 
As we look ahead, we remain confident in our balance sheet and financial flexibility as we move forward into the recovery and move closer towards our target leverage. Further details on our second quarter can be found in the earnings release we issued earlier this morning. This completes our prepared remarks. We would now like to open the line for any questions you may have. We would like to speak with all of you this morning, so we ask that you limit yourself to one question. Chad, can we have our first question, please? Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star than one on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. At this time, we'll just pause momentarily to assemble the roster. And the first question will come from Stephen Grambling with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thanks. You gave some great color on, on NUG, but I'd like to peel back the onion a bit more. Specifically, can you discuss how net unit growth expectations have evolved over the quarter as we look around the world, where your increased confidence comes from across things like brands to add to leases conversions, and how the financing environment is changing as we consider not only this year, but sustained growth beyond? Thanks. Yeah, Stephen, thank you. Uh, good, good question, and happy to give a little bit more color. If you think about it around the world, on the development side, I think so goes the recovery, sort of so goes the development is probably the simplest way to think about it. So versus our earlier expectations um, um, and, and why we're a bit more optimistic, obviously, and have, have raised our outlook for the year is um, largely dri uh, driven by what we were seeing in faster recovery in the U.S. and faster recovery in Asia, really China. Uh, and I'd say those those are sort of the, the largest drivers. Um, if you think about recovery, that's where, as we as we suggested in the prepared comments, that's where we see, you know, the steepest slope of recovery. Um, Europe is obviously we, we knew would be lagging, and you know isn't isn't contributing as much uh, as as the U.S. and China is at this point. But obviously, our expectation there is, as as the U.K. and Europe continue to open, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, a meaningful uptick there. So I think it's I think it's pretty much that simple. Slope of recovery steeper, you know, more activity on the development side in terms of both signings and openings. People, you know, are, are back at it and and and, the, and picking up steam on the conversions. Um, you know, I'd say mo you know just modestly better. Um, we as as you would note from prior calls, we've been we've had high expectations for conversions. We have some great conversion brands. The system is performing at the highest levels from a market share point of view that it's ever performed in our history. And I think that's a great leading indicator for opportunities to convince folks who are independent to come into the fold as well as, you know, folks that have weaker brands that, that are looking for a better performance to come into the fold, both, both of which uh, are happening at a little bit better than our expectations, and so while we had, you know, we expected things to pick up in the in the conversion area, I would say this year and then leading into next, because a lot of the, you know, some of the signings, you know, will take some time. Most of them have pretty quickly, but some of them will take some time in terms of capex work, property improvement programs, and the like. It's, uh, you know, it's modestly better than what were pretty uh, high expectations in terms of the financing environment. I mean. There's a lot to discuss. I, I think to you know, so we can get to lots of other questions. I think the simple answer is it's improving. I mean, the world's a big place. So again, following the slope of recovery, um, the U.S. you know and China, I would say the financing markets are recovering most rapidly because 
markets are efficient, you know, when performance is starting to really pick up and not just from an occupancy, but you're getting back to rate levels very rapidly, probably more rapidly than I've ever seen in my 40 years of doing this. You know, what happens is, you know, the lender community starts to, you know, have more confidence. Rates are obviously hyper low and have been low and, and lenders need yield. And so the more comfort they get that recovery is afoot and that there's going to be a recovery um, you know, back to where we were and then beyond, you know, the more they're willing to take the risk, go a little bit further out on the risk spectrum and underwrite it. And so, you know, you're seeing, you know, pretty robust financing markets in, in China. The U.S., you know, is still has a ways to go. I mean, you can look at the data out there. It's not anywhere where near where it was, but it's, but it's improving. And my expectation is as you get into the fall, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, I'll leave it for other questions, and, and our belief, my belief, is that we're going to continue to have very, very strong recovery in the fall and in the next year. You're going to continue to see a gradual increase in financing um, that's available, you know, uh, certainly certainly here in the U.S. I think Europe Europe will take uh, will take a little longer. So a ways to go. I'm not saying it's back anywhere near where it was. It's a long way off, but um, off sort of off the off the floors of, of what we had seen last year. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos Santarelli with Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Sure. Chris, could you talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you guys plan to use uh, key money and development spend? And obviously, in light of the financing environment that you just talked about and the way that's coming around, um, is it something you guys maybe rely on a little bit more in the near term and then start to, to wean away from it as, as we get you know more comfortable with, with kind of the outlook for new unit growth and things of that nature? Yeah, that's a good question. And we, we, you know, if you look at the numbers, we had a little bit higher key money uh in the quarter than we would typically have what, what what i would say is i don't see anything that um i i don't think anything is changing materially meaning i you know still over 90 percent of the deals that we are doing are dry deals or you know you know we're not spending you know we're not using the balance sheet anyway so there's not any any material shift you know given what's going on in in the broader macro environment the financing markets you know i uh, you know, nothing material that shifted. The reason you're seeing, a, you know, uh, a little bit heavier key money spend right now is a super positive story in the sense that, you know, both things that we've been working on for a long time and or opportunities that have arisen because of the pandemic have sort of come together, you know, in an unusual way, you know, this year, you know. So, example, Monarch you know, some of the bigger key money um, expenditures are, you know, iconic assets for our portfolio, largely resort-oriented that, that we've been working on that will be, in a, you know, that will be generational. They'll be in the system for decades and decades and decades. So, you know, the Walter Pistoria in, uh, in Monarch Beach in Laguna, you know, I've literally been working on that deal one way or another for 20 years, I think, between host and here. Um, and, you know, that's in the system, an incredible addition to, to the Waldorf brand. Resorts World, which I talked about in my prepared comments, 3,500 rooms on the Strip. You know, we're basically the only major player, you know, on the Strip with a massive meetings platform and 3,500 rooms. You know, we've been working on that for a number of years. You know, not a crazy amount of key money but uh, by any means, but, you know, relative to our normal expenditures, 
you know, uh, uh, significant. And then, you know, the the deals that I talked about in Mexico, you know, the three deals, 1,500 rooms in Puerto Vallarta and then in Tulum, you know, these are incredible assets um, that, you know, were either existing in the one case in PV was an existing hotel that was operating with another brand. And in the case of Tulum was developed literally over the over 20 years to get the entitlements with another brand. And, you know, because of, you know, COVID and, you know, what, what has happened, you know, in the industry presented an opportunity for us. And, and so, you know, that, that, you know, allowed us to enter the zone on hotels that would have taken us a decade to sort of pull together. And in a matter of six or 12 months, we're going to have these, you know, purpose-built, you know, incredible hotels in the system. And so, that's a, I know a long answer, but I, I view all of those, and then there's some others that I'm not that I'm not even mentioning. But those are the big ones as like incredible uh, progress for us in all inclusive, in resorts and in luxury. And you know those deals just don't come around that often. We're getting a few more of them now. You know, as I said, aided by COVID. So maybe there. You know, I, I would say, you know, our spending overall is uh, is going to be up probably uh, this year and next year relative to, to 2020, but 2020 was a depressed year. If you look at it versus our normal run rate, like 17, 18, and 19, honestly, I think our overall CapEx is sort of going to be within the ranges that, that we would have been. Um, but, again, I, you know, I, I, I don't see anything – we don't see anything material. We still think, you know, over 90% of our deals are going to be dry, and when we have these really unique opportunities – um, even with key money, they're very nice returns for us, and they're incredibly, I think, uh, strategic and important to the system. Great. Thanks, Chris. That's super helpful. I appreciate it. The next question will be from Joe Greff with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Chris. Morning, Kevin. Morning, Jill. Morning, Joe. Um, morning, Joe. Uh, you know, given you know significant progress we've seen in, in the operating environment, uh, given your your balance sheet and uh, you know where your leverage ratios uh, are, are heading by the end of this year, I was hoping you could give us an update on on how you're thinking about what you're looking at, which might be obvious, but how, and how you're looking at the timing of resuming capital return. Great, great question. I figured I'd get it, uh, and I figured I'd get it early. So thank you. I know every, that's on everybody's mind. Um, and we have obviously, you know, talked a bunch about it. We we ultimately that's a decision we'll go to our board with. We we have an upcoming meeting. We have you know we've had broader dialogue, but we haven't we haven't pinned it down. But I said on the last call um, that I was pretty confident that we would that we would be reinstituting uh, return of capital program next year. I still feel that way. Obviously, the slope of the recovery is even steeper, so I would say, you know, the update to that would be I feel confident that we're going to do it in the first half of next year, um, you know, the exact date and time to be determined when we when we talk to our board. But I think you should read the results of second quarter. You should read the, the commentary that Kevin and I gave in our prepared comments, plus everything you're hopefully going to get in color to say that we're very optimistic, um, that we know that we're not – you know, we read the papers. I talk to a lot of people. We're not oblivious to the Delta variant and things that are going on uh, in the world, but we're we're confident because we think we will power through that. The trends that we see real time are 
are very are very strong and improving. We feel really good about what's going to happen in the fall. And so, yeah, we we uh, you know every quarter that goes by, I think we feel better and better about where the recovery is going. And so that should ultimately translate into our feeling better about starting to return capital because we'll be you know we'll be generating real significant free cash flow in my mind next year and 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 we do not need to hoard it our belief has always been that as i said in my prior answer we're able, we're going to be able to keep growing with very little use of our own balance sheet and so we're going to give it back to folks so i my expectation is in the first half of next year that that program will resume and we'll we'll be having some discussion with our board in the very near future thank you very much the next question comes from Sean Kelly with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, uh, good morning, Chris. Uh, you know, you mentioned a couple times now just talking about that recovery in the fall, so I was hoping we could dig in there a little bit. Um, you know, I know you're sort of probably right at the cusp of when you have too much color you can actually share on the corporate side, but can you talk about how that is starting to firm up, be it September, October, you know, and, and what data you have. And then, you know, last quarter you talked a little bit about an exit trajectory for the year of, of possibly something in the down 30 range, and I appreciate, um, you know, it, it's it may be a little early to give an update to that, but kind of how are you thinking about that relative to maybe where we were three months ago? Yeah, totally fair question. That That's the $64,000 question I think everybody's trying to figure out. So I'll give you – I mean, we do have some data points, and some, and, and I'll give you my opinion on top of it. I mean – We've obviously seen, as, as Kevin and I both described in, in the nuggets we gave in our, in our comments that you wouldn't find in the press release, we've seen really nice recovery. And that recovery has been across the board. Obviously, most, you know, most of the greatest strength in leisure, but significant pickup in business travel and significant pickup while a, a, a further to go in, in the group side. Uh, and we continue to see that, notwithstanding the Delta variant and all the things going on, like I got – just last night, as an example, system-wide U.S. Um, occupancy was 74%, trailing seven days, 74%. That's with the urban market. That's with some urban hotels not even open, and those are in the comp set. And with all of our urban, so all of the urban hotels, obviously the urban environment has been lagging a little bit. So, you know what that says to you? Like last night, if we're running 74%, that's that's not leisure. I mean, you know, while we have a lot of leisure-oriented hotels, we have a lot of business-oriented hotels, um, and so midweek occupancies at that level are are definitely reflective of business travel being back. And we've seen it. You know, literally, it's funny. Um, sort of post Memorial Day, you know, I I, I mean, you just saw the, the the shift. You just saw a shift where weekday occupancies went up. 10 or 20, you know, on any given night, went up 10 or 20 percentage points. And that was business travel, you know, dominated by small and medium-sized businesses, by the way. But even pre-COVID, keep in mind, 80% of our business travel was small and medium-sized businesses, right? So that, that's sort of currently what's going on. I know your question is forward-looking, and I, I promise you I'm going to get to that. I think the trajectory, my, my own view, and I think the data sort of supports this is, you know, as you get into August, what's going to happen is you're going to continue to have massive, you know, surge in leisure travel because everybody wants to get out, notwithstanding, again, the Delta, you know, variants and, and the like. We've not, we've not seen impact, you know, impact in sort of consumer behavior from that. So I think you're going to have 
you know, continued very good strength in the leisure. I do think in August, you'll, as you always do, you will see business transient fall off a little bit, right, just because people are going to be like they always do. They're going to be not traveling for business as much um, and, and going on more vacations, and it's sort of the last hurrah before maybe a lot of people are going back to work and the kids are going finally going back to school and all that fun stuff. But when you get to the fall – uh, and, and limited, you know, we have limited data, you know, obviously this far out. So this is, you know, I gave you data points that I have real time today. You know, when you get 60, 90 days out, business transient stats, you know, a lot of the a lot of the bookings haven't occurred. So this is where it gets into my view of what I think will happen. I think you get after Labor Day. Um, I do believe, you know, I'm not a health expert, but I'm talking to a lot of them. I do believe we will have powered through the Delta thing. If you look at the stats on hospitalization and, and the like, they're really not not terrible. If you look at what's happened in the U.K., and we're sort of three or four weeks behind them, you know, the patterns there right now are quite good. You know, the uh, infection rate's down 50% on a trailing 12-day basis over there. So, you know, there, there, I think there is there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that we sort of power power through that. Um, and when we get to the fall, here's what I think we do know. Kids are going back to school. I mean, we'll debate whether they're wearing masks or not. Some places, yes, some, but they're going back to school. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And offices are opening. I mean, they may open different times. Some people you're reading, you're going to push it a month or whatever. Obviously, I said we're open. We're open and operating here at, our, at all of our headquarters. But but, you know, you're going to have, you know, people back at work, which means with kids in school, you know, with, with, with babysitters and with people in the office, you're going to have um, more propensity to want to travel. And, and when we talk to customers, again, I can't give you the booking data because it's too far out, but when we talk to customers, anecdotally, it supports all of that, that, you know, when you get into the fall, people are going to be, people are going to be traveling. There's both pent-up demand. Okay, of things they've been needing to do, and then there's just demand generally to you know for folks to be able to to uh, run their businesses. And so I think as you get into the fall, you know you're going to see the natural uh, a reduction in the leisure as we always do because now kids are in school. They weren't last year. Kids are in school. People are back at the office. They don't have as much time to go on on vacation. I, I do believe again, can't prove it, but my belief is. Leisure will be elevated for a while because we're still living in a bit of a hybrid world. But I think business transient will come back. Group will obviously take a longer gestation period, but group will definitely be coming back. The booking trends into the third, particularly the fourth quarter, you know, are, are much better than they've been. And, um, you know, I think we're, you know, we're, we're motoring forward. In terms of, you know, last time, I believe I said that I, you know, I think you know, we'd be back to sort of 70%, you know, by the end of the year um, of 19 levels, and obviously I, you know, I feel better. So um, while we're not giving guidance, uh, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, we're, we're not ready to start doing that. There's still enough uncertainty where we we want to wait. Um, we do do forecasts, okay? I mean, we, we, we're not – it's not Camp Rudamuck here. We are we are looking at our numbers. And I, I'd say our view is, you know, demand levels probably – you know, RevPAR levels are probably in the U.S. and globally somewhere circa 80% versus the 70, I thought, in our, in our current thinking. Demand levels, you know, probably back to 85%. So um, – 
you know, we're getting there. And I, you know, we're getting, I mean, you know, again, much, much, a steep, I said last time, recovery has been much steeper than we thought. I say it again today, you know, just things, you know, things have been coming back more quickly um, than we would have thought. Um, we knew they'd come back. I, I, obviously, you all know I've been optimistic about their recovery, but it's even better than I would have thought. I think one of the most surprising things, although it shouldn't be to any of us, because as I kid our team, the laws of economics are alive and well, and the most surprising thing is how quickly rate comes back. But that's, again, that's just demand, right? We're pricing demand. We're being really smart about it. But I do believe when when this when we look back on this recovery, the most unusual thing relative to any other period in my four, almost 40 years of doing this will be just a rapid return of rates. Thank you for all the detail. Yep. The next question is from Sneeds Rose with City. Please go ahead. Hi. Thanks. Um, I just hey. wanted to follow up on that. Hi. I wanted to follow up a little bit on that. I think in your opening remarks, you said that your your group bookings are trending greater now in 2022 than they were in 2019, which I think is a pretty big positive increase sequentially from what you mentioned on your first quarter call. And I was just hoping you could maybe talk a little bit more about the composition of those groups and, um, you know, what you're seeing on the rate side and, and maybe just kind of a little more color around, um, you know, folks' willingness to book group at this point. Yeah, still a yeah, great question. Still building. What I what I said is that all of our bookings for 2022 are at rates that are rates that are greater than um, 2019. So to be okay. specific, rate. I didn't say volume. Volume's still a bit off, just because it takes time to build the book. So you know, my expectation is we get closer to next year and into next year, in the year for the later in this year. Uh, particularly when you get past this delta, this delta wave, and then in the year, for the year, will be a barn burner year, but bigger than than anything we've ever seen in the year, for the year, simply because people have to meet. You know, it takes time to plan it. They want to sort of get through their budget season before they, they to know how much money they have. But I'm not wor- I'm not worried about the volumes next year. Again, they're a bit they're they're not where we were at 19. They're they're there's a, it, they're, they're close, but they're not there, but the rate's above. And so, you know, what I've been, honestly, what I've been saying to our teams is, you know, be really careful. Like we, there's going to be a monumental amount of demand. We don't want to give it away. We want to make sure that, that we're pricing, you know, even though we're not at the volumes now, my expectation very strongly is it's all going to fill in. It just takes a little punk, a little bit longer given what's the, the, the reason for, you know, this recession being a health issue and sort of getting through the final stages of that, in my opinion, um, is required before you really get the momentum on the volume. And so that's why rates are are up is because we're being super disciplined, recognizing that there's a limited amount of meeting space, there's going to be a gargantuan amount of demand, and um, we can be a bit we can be a bit patient, I think, given given what's going on. Great. Thank, thank you. The next question is from Thomas Allen with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Um, thanks. So, so on net unit growth, um, you've obviously seen some great progression um, in terms of your guides, and uh, you gave some helpful color earlier. But um, do you think you can get back to the 6 to 7% unit growth you were putting up pre-COVID? And if so, when? Thanks. Uh, yes, I do. 
Um, and, you know, I think it's probably sometime between 23 and 24, Kevin. Yeah. Kevin's also head of development, so, you know, I want to make sure he has a, you know, before I commit him. Yeah, I think it's sometime in, you know, 23, 24. Probably more, I would probably more 24. Probably more 24, just because you got to get through the, you know, if you look at starts last year, you look at, I mean, if you look at the progression, you'll see when we're when we're done. Last year, we were down in starts. This year, we'll be down modestly, not not no, at a, not nearly as much as last year in starts. And I think that's the bottom. And then I think next year we'll we'll be ramping up in starts. And I think if you just play that through. That's what gets us in the mid single digits for the next sort of couple of years, two or three, and then and then I think you're back in business in the six to seven range. Yeah, if the average if the average develop, you know construction time or gestation period in the pipeline is two and a half or three years, you've got to be two and a half or three years past the bottom before you get back to your old run rate. Oh, well, thank you. And the next question is from Robin Farley. From UBS, please go ahead. Um, great. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the pipeline as well. Um, you mentioned that conversions were, I think you said, 30% of signings. I'm wondering uh, what percent of openings that was in Q2 and maybe, you know, what you expect it to be for the full year. And and then just on the theme of um, pipeline, you, you mentioned, you know, mid-single digits for the next two or three years. And I think last quarter you had said, um, that 2022 might be kind of in the four to five percent range, but maybe in the lower than than this year, just given that there was some kind of construction catch up this year. So I'm wondering, with the higher unit growth rate here in 21, um, does that does that carry through to you know sort of continued acceleration into 22, or in fact, is it is it bringing forward some things you thought would open in 22 that kind of bring forward into 21? And so you know maybe we'd still see that slightly lower rate. Um, you know, closer to 4% next year than the 5 um, for 22. Thanks. Yeah, Robin, thanks. All good questions. I think I've got it all. I'll try to go in, I'll try to go in order. I think, you know, on the conversion front, openings were lower. I don't remember the exact percentage, but they were circa 10% of, of openings for the quarter. And that was just timing. I'd say, you know, last year we were sort of 19, 20% of openings. I think this year it will be that or maybe even a little bit higher given sort of the number of signings we had in the, in the second quarter. And, um, you know, so that's, that, I think that's a good way to think about it. And, look, we are doing more conversions, very happy with the conversions in the second quarter, really nice mix between hard brands, soft brands, conversions from independents, conversions from other brands, regionally. So very happy with that. But that said, our pace of deliveries of uh, new builds is going up as well. So it's sort of hard, you know, it's a little bit harder for that percentage to move. And, of course, that's all baked into into our outlook the idea of I'll, I'll do the third one next. The idea of of 22 being affected, not as much. I mean, I think 22 is going to be about what we expect. Maybe a little bit of timing, you know, pull forward, replaced by a little bit more conversion. So 2022 is about the same as we thought. And then yeah, you picked up on we said four to five for the next several years. We were not pointing to any one specific year when we said four to five. And now we're saying mid-single digits, which, of course, four to five is mid-single digits. So it's about the same, but I think what you're hearing is a little bit more optimism about the future of net unit growth, given what's been going on lately. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Sure. The next question is from Richard Clark from Bernstein. Please go ahead. 
Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Just wanted to ask your uh, sort of opinion, your, your thoughts on, on, on labor shortages in the U.S. Um, you know, there's been some uh, commentary around drops in service levels. Obviously, it's across the whole industry, but how much truth is there in that? Um, and Or is this working the other way? Are you actually being able to realize some sort of bigger efficiencies by working with less on, on the hotel side level? Yeah, I, I, thanks, Rick. It's a, it's a great, great question. La labor shortage is a real issue. Uh, probably the single biggest issue that, that we're dealing with. It is definitely not just for Hilton, but industry, all service industries and manufacturing and a lot of your supply chain issues that you're reading about every day. All of this is sort of interconnected to not, not having enough labor. Um, you know, at a high level, I think it will largely resolve itself over the next couple of quarters um, in, in, in the sense that I think there are a lot of complex reasons behind it. Some of it is obviously health. You know, people still don't feel like, you know, particularly with the Delta variant now that, you know, that they should go back to work. Some people, because they're, they're worried about their health, as I already mentioned, you know, we haven't had kids in school, so we don't effectively have daycare. There are there, the women in the workforce are where it's been most dramatically impacted because they, they have to stay home to take care of kids. And then some of the government programs that were really important last year, you know, in the depths of, of this crisis, um, you know, have, you know, aren't as important right now when there's a ton of opportunity for employment. Um, and that is, you know, unemployment insurance that, you know, the federal top up, but that, that goes away, you know, in, in early September. So I think when you get kids back in school, we get past, you know, these late, you know, hopefully the last wave with Delta and unemployment insurance goes away in the early fall, I think you're going to start to see a significant easing of the issues uh, on on the labor side. In terms of what it ha you know its impact on margins, given that we're able to you know while there are service issues all of us are having, we're obviously working awfully hard to to deliver great service, and I think you know we are doing a very good job given the difficult circumstances. Um, you know, we are doing it with less labor, and so ironically, you know, given demand and given the ability to price the demand, margins are, are you know, in many cases unbelievably high because you're getting effectively rates that are consistent with what you had before, and you can't get the labor, so you just have less cost. That, that obviously is a temporary thing. You're going to have to have more labor, you know, ultimately in the hotels. Having said that, long term, we've done a bunch of things in the crisis in terms of testing and learning on different ways um, to change the operating model, particularly as it relates to housekeeping and, and uh, food and beverage, and then a whole host of other smaller things where we think we can deliver a great experience for our customers and do it more efficiently. And so I think when it all gets, you know, flushed through and we're on the other side of this and through the, the stresses and strains on the, on the labor issues we're talking about, I, you know, I think we have, Developed a plan to have higher higher margin businesses, you know, across across all all the major brands. And so, yeah, it's a big issue. We're spending a lot of time on it, but I do, uh, as as the old adage goes, this too, I think, shall pass. Thanks very much. And the next question is from Bill Crow with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good morning, hey, Bill. Clarification in the question. The clarification is, I think you mentioned that, that uh, uh, RevPAR was down 29% in June relative to 19 numbers. 
Um, and did you say that, that it was going to be closer to 20% down in the fourth quarter as we pivot to business uh, business travel? Yes, That's I a did. clarification. The question, yeah. uh, I guess, goes to uh, your discussion about rate being the biggest surprise. I'm just – I'm wondering if, if we're already at a point where we can declare a victory over rate integrity, maybe for the first time in any recovery, right? Uh, or do we have to <laughs> yeah. wait until – or do we have to wait until we get into business travel and really see what you know what lies beneath this this leisure um, uh, surge? Yeah, on the first one, I answered it. Well, maybe you didn't hear because I I was uh, and I apologize talking over you. But yes, on the first, that's what I said to clarify the first question. I you know you know me, Bill. I tend to you know be a little you know un, under promise, over deliver is is my theory in life. So I don't want to I, I don't want to declare victory yet on rate. I meant what I said. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and been through bunches of recessions at this point. And, you know, what I'm seeing is, is uh, very atypical. So, you know, I, I, and I, you know, I do believe that into the fall and next year, we're going to continue to have robust demand and, and, and improvement. So I think the rate story, as I said, you know, my earlier comment, when we look back on it, I think that's going to be the real, you know, the difference in, in, in recovery here, but I don't know about declaring, I don't know about declaring victory. George W. Bush did it on an aircraft carrier. It didn't work out for him. So. <laughs> didn't work out so well. Yeah, no, right. but, Thanks, but listen, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see, but it's, you know, again, it's just a function of demand. It's just we, yeah. and then being smart and how you price demand. All right. Thank you. Our next question is from Patrick Scholes with True Securities. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, quick, quick question here, and this is sort of just a, a, a sort of looking for a ballpark answer. But you know, with the labor issue out there, you know, what what percentage of your hotels right now are unable to sell full inventory due to uh, staffing shortages? I can't. I, I don't have a scientific answer for you. Um, I would. I would say, sort of, atmospherically, I think it's a relatively small percentage of our portfolio. It's definitely, there are definitely some hotels that can't, because I've talked to some owners. But, and I was with a bunch of owners out at Alice this week, and labor was probably the the number one topic because it's what everybody's talking about. But, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just giving you the atmosphere because I don't. We don't. I don't have hard data on it. I, I okay. think there, that it is an issue, but not, you know, a significant issue. And by the way, it's helping to to a degree. You know, it's also helping with rates because in some markets where they can't, they're reducing, they're reducing capacity and driving rates. Which, by the way, you know, back to Bill Crow. When we're done with it, maybe we can declare victory that we were actually really smart about not only rate recovery but sort of how we manage occupancy versus rate to drive, you know, the, to drive the best profitability. So, you know, in, a, in, in the hotels where they are having issues, in many of them, and I can think of a few who I just talked to, are having great success in sort of moderating occupancy levels down and then driving it uh, on the top line. And net-net, they're making more money than if they had the, the incremental labor and they opened up the capacity. You know, they're just – their profitability is higher. So it's not it's – not, all a, a bad story. Long, long term, obviously, the labor issues, we have to sort. I mean, I, I already gave my answer. I, I do think they'll sort. There are a bunch of things we're doing to make sure that 
our system has, you know, unique opportunities to access labor and ultimately to deliver the kind of service we want to deliver, we do need to get more labor, labor in the hotels. But uh, at the moment, you know, from a from an owner point of view, in many cases, yeah, there there some are limiting capacity, but I think it is I think it's a relatively small percentage. Okay, uh, thank you for the call on that. Thank yep. The next question will be from David Katz with Jefferies. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for morning. taking my question. Um, uh, two, two questions, if I may. Um, within the sort of franchise fees line item, you know, we're sort of in a moment where it's, you know, candidly, nothing's easy to model, you know, for, for I assume, for either of us. Um, you know, but that one in particular was, you know, much larger than what we had, and I know that there are a number of things in there. You know, getting to franchise fees should be straightforward, but, you know, Kevin, if you could give us just a little insight on, you know, the other pieces that are in there, right? There's, you know, credit card fees and there's some royalties in there, and sort of how those flow, a little modeling help would be Yeah. Welcome. It's 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 hard and easy all at the same time. I mean, basically, you know, overall fee growth was a bit lower than overall revpar growth. Thus, your question. And the and the real the short answer is, yeah, license fees are growing. By the way, they're growing really strongly. I think license fees were up something like 80 percent in the second quarter. But that's obviously a lot less than revpar growth at 234 percent. And so, just the math ends up being a little bit less than revpar. And so when we when we're in this period of revpar growth being sort of at these really elevated rates because of the crazy comps, we're going to be a little bit lower than fee growth on a long term basis. It should be about one to one. So that's, that's sort of the the easiest way I can sort of lay it out. Got it. I, we and get I, that it's hard to model though. Sorry about that. I, uh, that's okay. No, I, I what whatever you got, we'll take. Um, if, if I may ask a similar question around sort of owned and leased. It's not certainly not the biggest part within your model. Um, but if you don't mind my asking, you know, any color on sort of how that, you know, recovers and, and grows out in the future would be helpful as well. Yeah, totally fair question. I mean, I sort of telegraphed it a little bit in our prepared remarks. It, again, pretty straightforward. I mean, that portfolio is concentrated, you know, in places like the U.K., Central Europe and Japan in particular that are just behind in the trajectory recovery. So all the things we talked about, there's nothing structural there. It's just it's behind. It obviously was loss-making this quarter. It probably will be loss-making next quarter just because of the level of recovery and what's going to be needed in those parts of the world. And we think it's sort of break-even-ish in Q4. We'll see what happens. Again, it's dependent on recovery and, and the world opening up a little bit. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is obviously it's going to grow more quickly than the core than the core business, so it's going to contribute positively to our growth going forward because it's going to be growing off of a much lower base. Perfect. Appreciate the help. Thanks. Sure. The next question is from Vince Siepel with Cleveland Research. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to come back to the honors uh, contribution, which sounded really high. I think you said around 60%, uh, which is maybe a few points under 2019. And that's all while business transient is still, I think, 30 points off. I think that usually over-indexes to brand direct. So just curious how you think uh, this 
a direct contribution evolves through the pandemic. You know, usually there's a narrative that OTAs take share, but it seems like your direct business is really, uh, really impressive. How do you think it evolves over the course of the next year? Yeah, well, I over the next year is probably harder to judge. Over the next several years, obviously our objective is to continue to enhance the the value proposition for honors such that, as I've been saying for a long time, you're sort of crazy not to be a member of honors. You get all the technology. You get a little bit of a discounted rate. You get the points. You can use the points to shop on Amazon, buy a concert ticket at Live Nation, go travel the world and get rooms or food and beverage or a spa treatment or whatever. You know, it's very much a uh, – you know, um, an opportunity to sort of create value. And if you're not an honors member and you're and you're staying with us, you're sort of silly. I mean, just because it, it, you know you're, you're you're effectively giving away value. And so that happens to be true. Obviously, we you know we've been trying to you know over over the years, as I've talked about many times on these calls, sort of go high and low. You know, make sure that for our most frequent travelers, it's a really relevant program. You know, um, which I think we've done, but infrequent travelers as well, um, and that's probably been what's most game-changing for us, and I and I think it's helped us sort of over the last five years lead the industry in percentage of occupancy represented by loyalty, which is we've made it relevant to, you know, somebody that travels two or three days a year, and, and not just sixty or a hundred days a year, because. It's um, you know it's a currency effectively, and there's a value proposition that works for them. And so, um, being specific about it, you know, we want to continue that. I mean, my own view is, you know, we were running in the 60s, you know, pre-COVID. You know, my goals are much higher for that pre-COVID, and and I have not, I'm not letting up. I mean, COVID, you know, set us back. But I think COVID also uh, provided opportunities. And, and as you pointed out, in May, we were effectively only a couple of points different than we were in 19. Why Why would that be when our core travelers not back? Well, I think it's two things. One, in May and June, our core travelers started to come back. Number two, we worked really hard in how we sort of shifted our upper funnel and lower funnel strategies for marketing to attract customers into the system that were traveling during COVID that weren't our core customers. And so we had, we were able to get a bunch of those folks to say, gosh, I would like to be an honors member and sign up and and then realize this is a, re, is, is a really good value proposition. So the whole thing during COVID has been to, to basically say, let's go really hard after the customer that maybe wasn't our core, wasn't an honors member, make sure they really understand the value proposition, and then keep them in the system. And then when our core customer comes back, obviously we, we believe we've got a great value proposition they understand. And when you put one and one together, you know, you hope to get three. And so the objective would be not to get back to where we were because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the objective pre-COVID. It's to get significantly beyond that. Now, why? Because we believe it's a better experience for our customer. Like the more, the better the value proposition, the happier they are. The better experience with the technology, the happier they are. Um, from an ownership and system point of view, we lower our distribution costs. It's the lowest distribution channel, the lowest cost distribution channel we have. So, for all the right reasons, um, we want to continue to build very direct relationships. And I, you know, I, my my belief is when you wake up in two or three years. Uh, while COVID has, you know, obviously been a difficult time for everybody in the industry, including us, 
I do think it afforded us an opportunity to accelerate some of those efforts. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Chris Setta for any additional or closing remarks. Thanks, everybody, for the time today. Uh, obviously, we covered a lot of territory, and you can probably tell from my comments we uh, were obviously pleased with Q2 relative to where, where uh, the business has been industry-wide and, and, and the company, and we're very bullish about, while we know there are risks out there, not, you know, not, not oblivious to that, um, we think those are all, you know, reasonably manageable. We're very bullish about not just the, the second half of the year, but very bullish about um, recovery as we go into 22 and, and beyond. Um, we'll look forward, appreciate the time, and we'll look forward to catching everybody up uh, after we finish our third quarter. Take care. Have a great day. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.